the gospel has power where real sin has has been identified right. and confessed. It doesn't have power when sin, where sins that we have made up and created and piled on top of the law are pressed down on people's shoulders. There's no way out of those. Welcome to the Stand Firm Podcast. I'm Nick Lannon of Grace Anglican Church in Louisville, Kentucky, here as always with Matt Kennedy of Good Shepherd, uh, Church of the Good Shepherd Anglican in Binghamton, New York, and J.D. Koch of Christ Church Anglican in Mount Pleasant, South Carolina. How are you guys today? Doing great, Nick. Great. Glad to hear that. It has been a heavy little while. Uh, our Archbishop Foley Beach yesterday, and we're recording this on Wednesday, June 3rd, Yesterday sent a pastoral letter calling for a week of fasting and prayer in the midst of great civil and racial unrest that we're experiencing right now. Some peaceful protests, some riots, looting, not to mention the global pandemic that has sickened so many and killed some, in addition to putting so many people out of work. Uh, the specific occasion for Archbishop Foley's letter was the death of George Floyd and the discussion of racism that has reached a fever pitch in our country. So today we're gonna to talk about that in the laughably short 30 minutes to which we try to limit ourselves. We're gonna talk about race, justice, the gospel. There's no way we can say everything that needs to be said in just 30 minutes. This is just the beginning of a conversation. But I think we wanna say that racism is sin and that to embrace it is to reject the finished nature of Christ's work on the cross. Sure. which brings together every tongue, tribe, and nation at the foot of that cross, equally dead in trespasses and sins, and equally able to be redeemed by his blood. It's a terrible problem with a sordid history in America. And all of the people whose jobs it is to control such things, whether they're um, lawyers or judges or legis legislators or police, uh, they should be working in such a way to oppose racism. And as Christians, we advocate for that. And we should protest peacefully, of course, whenever it's not happening. But the three of us are not judges or lawyers. We're not legislators or police. We're preachers. And that's how I wanted to kick off our conversation today. How might a preacher preach the good news into a world divided by racism? And indeed, divided over what racism might even mean in certain contexts. So what's the sermon for today? Hmm. You know, if I, were, if I were preaching to my congregation and I was asked to to stand up and address racial turmoil, um, I think I would I would get as I'd start with Revelation seven, you know, the great vision that you, you mentioned a minute ago. After this, I looked. This is Revelation seven uh, in verse nine. After this, I looked and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, "Salvation belongs to our God." who sits on the throne and, um, and to the Lamb. And you have this great vision of, of heavenly worship where, where ethnicities aren't destroyed, they're there, but everything that once divided us is gone. And, and we're, we're standing as one people worshiping the one Lord, the, the Lamb. How do we get there? How, 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 is that, how does God bring that about? And you know, then you can, I would, I would go right to, uh, the two things we have in common. What's, what's the first thing we have in common? Well, I myself am a wicked, wretched sinner, right? So the, the flesh says, uh, the, the, the love of self says, um, okay, I'm, I'm an American, 
I have white skin, I am Irish, and so you know, clearly people with white skin who are Irish and American are better than others. That's, that's kind of the flesh speaking. It, sin is always narcissistic. It always loves what's like itself. Um, and so, uh, but, the, but the first step of, of the, the proclamation, or the, I guess the proto-proclamation of the gospel is, you know, no, you, you, you can't follow the law that God demands that you follow. You are, you are condemned before God. You are totally helpless. You have nothing. And guess what? So is your black neighbor. So is your Latino neighbor. So is your, uh, go on down the line. We're all universally one in our wickedness and our wretchedness. Um, and then what does God do about that? He takes on, he takes on, he takes on flesh. He takes on Semitic flesh in particular, but he takes on, but he takes on flesh as the representative human being. He follows the law. He does all that we couldn't do. He lays down his life for our sins. He rises from the dead in the third day. Um, and then everyone who believes black, white, Jew, Gentile, slave, free, it doesn't matter whoever you are, you trust that gospel you are given, you're forgiven, you're made new, uh, you're indwelt by his Holy Spirit, his one spirit, you're made one with everybody else who is so indwelt. And so that's how this comes about. That's how, that's how in the end we can all stand together despite our different colors, our different, our different cultures, our different languages. We can all stand together and with one voice worship the same Lord because he's, he indwelled us all. That's the, the gospel is the only thing that fixes this. Nothing else fixes this. You can go and look for, run through the annals of human history and all the attempts that have been made to fix human division and, and disparity, and you're not going to find anything that works. That's right. The only thing that's ever worked and only ever will work is that gospel, that you're all sinners, that's and right. God has taken on human flesh to, to save sinners. That's right. Well, amen. I mean, I, I would, I mean, I have little to add to that. I mean, maybe just to expound a little bit. I mean, I would just bring people back to, to the law, you know, first, I mean, just sort of how did we get here, you know, going all the way, way, way back to Adam and Eve, you know, we pray in our, in our third colic permission. I don't know if it's called the new prayer book, but you know, go oh God, you've created from one people's all uh, from one blood, all peoples of the earth, you know, beginning with the, the, the proclamation that, that all people are, are creatures of God and, and are shared in that, um, in that designation. And then that was Genesis two and the man and the woman were naked and unashamed and unafraid. And then of course sin enters. And where do we see the, the very first effect of sin unsurprisingly is division. It's division first between the man and the woman, then the, then the parents and their offspring. And then that the division just spreads from, from family to town, to city, to nation, to world. And the history of the world has been, has been enmity in that respect, in, enmity between, uh, between every possible way you could define yourself over against another person has been enmity. And that's why the, the message of redemption that came into the world, beginning with Abraham, was, was that salvation would not come just for the Jews, but through the Jews. And so he, he hewed a people of himself um, over millennia in preparation for bringing the great reconciler who would then unite that which had been at enmity with each other, man and woman, uh, slave and free, male or female, all of us in that united centrality of the cross that none is righteous, no, not one, not one. And yet by one man can all be saved. And that's like this. So then the, the text of that 
you know, you could go to Ephesians too. You take the whole book of Ephesians, you know, of course, which is, I think, Paul's sort of, um, sort of cosmic, um, you know, uh, sort of uh, idealized version of the, of the church in its perfect sense. You know, it's this sort of beautiful picture of, of what it could be. But in chapter two, when Nick, you referenced this also, you know, you who were dead in your trespasses and sins have now been redeemed through the blood of Christ. And he talks specifically about the dividing wall of hostility, hostility between people, uh, which was not, not, it's more than Jew and Gentile, but not less than that. You know, it's not less than, than the dividing wall of hostility that now unites and creates a new creation his body on earth that witnesses to the world a unity that it cannot have outside of Christ. And I think this is the, this is the problem with a lot of what has been preached for, for centuries now, but particularly is in, in America is what was known, you know, the turn of the 20th century is a quote unquote social gospel movement is that, is that the fruit, we talked about this before, the fruit of the gospel, this unity, this, this brotherly love, you know, with the United Nations in front of the United Nations in Vienna, you know, they use from the Old Testament, you will, you know, beat your swords into plowshares and your, in your, in your um, swords into pruning hooks, or you'll beat your swords into a lot of things evidently, but like the, the point is that that there's a lot of peace with peace but you know like jeremiah like you're saying peace peace where there is no peace because you haven't actually given the means by which peace is actually achieved which is the death and resurrection of sinners by faith through christ alone and when that is missing from the component then you can you can paint a picture of the of the of revelation you know the the feast of the lamb all you want but they haven't entered into that feast through through his blood, you know, his, their robes have not been washed white. And so I think this is part of the frustration with preaching, with, particularly within the church, a um, sort of over-realized, what do they call the um, uh, over-realized, over-realized eschatology, eschatology of the gospel without, without beginning with the foundational proclamation, which was you are dead in your trespasses and sins, which of course um, no one likes to hear <laughs> until, until it becomes uh, the music. Yeah, well, I mean, I think part of the part of the problem is that within the secular realm, and, and with some left-leaning evangelical thought, um, they have embraced a, a new understanding of what sin is and what redemption is, and and so the in the new understanding, the you know by virtue of your skin color, you're either a member of the oppressor class or or not. Um, you're either are are benefiting from the past injustices of your forefathers or, or not. And so some of us have greater sin. Some of us have uh, greater guilt by virtue of, of who we are and the, the families that we've come from. And so, and others are by virtue of their status as in some way, shape or form victim, oppressed, uh, less privileged, um, they stand in a, in a different light. They're not so. They're not. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're not. Well, you know. They're not. They, they. They don't need redemption. They give us redemption. Yes. <laughs> it's, yes. It's That's that's one of the problems with uh, critical theory in general, but critical race theory in particular is it is it has a whole new homardiology. The the whole new the the sin understanding of what sin is 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 corrupted. And if you begin there with an understanding of sin, it's not universal. Yes, and 
uh, something that we all need, you're necessarily going to get redemption wrong and the gospel wrong. That's right. And I think this goes back to our conversation last week about the Holy yeah. Spirit, because, you know, we, we all have run into people, the sort of sociological category, like check box here, you know, Christian, non-Christian, Jew, you know, Muslim, and people check it. And, and then that goes into some sort of Barna research group about the percentage of quote unquote Christians or, or Jews or Muslims, wherever the case is. And those aren't the people we're talking about within the church. We're talking about people who come to church to, who have, have been cut by the spirit to the heart, as Acts 2 says, who are seeking something of the consolation of the gospel. And when the law is preached to them in a uh, patronizing way, meaning that it takes into account them as groups, primarily as opposed to individuals, whatever the group may be, well, then there's, a de there's actually, interestingly enough, a dehumanization of the entire gospel message because it says, well, yes, yeah. I am. I happen to be tall. You know, I happen to be to be Irish. Yeah. I happen to be left, but I'm also a lot of other things. And what I came yeah. here to hear was that all of those things together, in whatever capacity they have come to create who I am, need to be redeemed. And when we when we believe or we profess that there are certain aspects of our sort of group identity, however the case may be, that are either outside the need of redemption or more constitutive of who we are than we are sinners in the need of God's mercies. Right. Well, then the whole church, like you said, the whole church becomes a, a vehicle for, for preaching a different gospel because the different gospel right. becomes something along the lines of, of part of who we think you are is righteous, part is unrighteous, and we're going to use this time in the church and the work of the kingdom to sift through the various degrees of righteousness and unrighteousness so that we can produce the perfect, um, the kingdom on earth, you know, what to whatever. And that, of course, you will find a lot of disagreement about what the kingdom on earth looks like, you know. I mean, there are a lot of different ideas that we have about the perfect makeup of the perfect church. Um, and I think this is why. Uh, there's a there's a presumption to going beyond what we've been given to say. You know, we've been given to say to proclaim to the world, right. to all who have ears to hear, let them hear. This is what God has done for you in Christ, and 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 let you know as our friends say, let that bird fly, right? Let 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 that go and see what and and trust that God is is raised, doing the increase, but watering, planting, and He's bringing it. It's interesting. I, I was I was I was having a conversation with somebody who. I think is on the other side of this question from me. And he was talking about the biblical notion of corporate guilt. You know, that, that there are nations who are held responsible by God, whole nations that are held responsible by God for their you know, co corporate sin. Uh, nations are, are punished for their lack of justice toward the poor, the widow and the stranger toward for their idolatry, all of that. And that's, that's genuinely true. So the question this guy had for me is, well, you know, what, uh, what you seem to be saying is there's no such thing as as corporate guilt, and that calls into question you know much of the Old Testament. Um, let's think about um, the state of Georgia. Okay, uh, the state of Georgia not only during the the antebellum era, um, but also post Civil War, enacted policies that were clearly wicked and racist and, and sinful. And so, so if we're talking about repentance for past injustices, which is, no, I, I can agree, sometimes the Old Testament seems to go there. What should happen with the state of Georgia? I mean, I, I, and I, I think it would be maybe a legitimate thing for the state, the government of Georgia to say, yep, we've 
in the past, those who held office in our state have made decisions that were unjust and cruel, and they should not have done those things. And you know, uh, do whatever they can without without uh, uh, hurting any of the present Commonwealth to 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 help those they've hurt. I, I don't see any problem with that. I mean, I I really don't. Um, where where things get dicey though is where you go way beyond that level and you say, okay, well you belong to the race that has, or not even the race, the skin color. I'm, I'm Irish and Norwegian. I'm, I, I, my skin is white, but I have a lot of ethnic differences with somebody who's Italian or Spanish, um, whose skin also might be white. So when you talk about whiteness, what are you, what are you exactly talking about? Um, but when we come down to the question of what kind of guilt I bear for my, I personally bear for what the Commonwealth in which I live might have done a hundred years ago, or the my forefathers did that's where that whole system breaks down because while the commonwealth of georgia may have done horrible things did do horrible things i personally even if i live in georgia i had nothing to do with that i didn't promote that i didn't push that so you're convicting me of a sin i didn't commit there's lots of sins you could commit me you could get convict me of but i didn't do that one yeah we can certainly say that you should work to repeal those things you should yeah both yeah, yeah. Head yeah. Those the injustice issues. fine yeah. This is the problem, and uh, it's a good it's a good thing to think about because I think that I think that the you know the sins of the father are visited upon the generation and, and the generations to follow. I mean, this is a biblical concept also. I mean, if your grandfather uh, was super rich and then started a um, you know went out gambling one night, lost all your wealth, I mean, don't be surprised if you found yourself your in guy. poverty. I mean, that's so his yeah. sin affects you, and so I think that to a certain right. degree, you know, even the unrest and the and the problems we see around ourselves is the result of of generations of, of sin, or at least of, of you yes. know, overt racism. And so I'm unsurprised that there's this problem. The problem I have is, um, is to the extent to which the church, which we have a specific voice to use this to address, is, is either perpetuating the problem or actually giving the one solution to the problem that at least we have, which is not that we ignore the existence of injustice where it is. I mean, we were for a brief moment all united around the seeming injustice of what happened to to George Floyd, you know, I mean, like at the very least, we said we don't want someone in police custody to be killed by a policeman. Like we can agree to that, you know. And there was this moment where, like, I don't care how much, how what he did, if he had been, you know, uh, arrested. Well, then we have a lot of laws wrought over many centuries about what is done, you know, to in a just society, even to the most obviously guilty, which he certainly didn't seem to be. But the point is. That there is to the incentive where injustice lies, we of all people, Christian people, should should mm-hmm. you know seek justice, do mercy, and walk humbly with our God, says Micah. But at the same time, we also are people of mercy, forgiveness, and redemption for for even the most heinous of sinners. And so, to the extent within the church that there is a new creation, a united new body of Christ, well, then to we can acknowledge injustice where it remains, but we can also find a. A, a new forgiven community of reconciled sinners who who walk together as opposed to continue to 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 divide. And I think that's when I see the church adopting the like we said the hamartiology of the New York Times, you know, or of the world. When when um, when the the church is simply parroting the the Romans Road of the Atlantic, the New Yorker, and um, and Huffington Post, uh, then I get worried. I get worried about that because I say you know that there's not that they couldn't be 
aware of a real problem or injustice, but the solution is altogether different because our solution is not, as Martin Luther said in his Heidelberg disputation, you know, the quest for glory, the quest for ultimate redemption is not met, but extinguished, you know, and to the extent that if you have been genuinely aggrieved, you know, and we've all been genuinely aggrieved to some degree, um, if that continues to be not only inflamed, but then have further gasoline thrown on it in the church of all places, well, then don't be surprised if it's never extinguished. It's never, every time I go to church, I leave feeling more, more aggrieved, uh, more self-righteous in my indignation and ultimately more agitated. Well, that's, that doesn't seem to be the same peace that the world does not know. You know, the peace that I leave with you, that I give to you, this peace. Yeah. And so I think that that's my problem with it. I'm totally with you that I think that we do not need to be, we've talked about this in our very first episode. We need to be as involved in the, the sober and realistic assessment of the sins of our fathers and forefathers as anyone, you know, and, and be unafraid to confess where necessary and be absolved where needed. Um, but we also need to hold out the hope that even the most egregiously aggrieved person might find it in their heart to forgive and join into the redeemed community right. of God. I mean, that's, you know, yeah. shock horror. So, I mean, maybe a localized example. I, I rector a church that's been around since 1873. In the 80s, I don't know if you guys have ever heard, I'm sure you've heard of Operation Rescue. It was sure, the, the sure. abortion uh, yeah, I went, on, I went on these walks um, with my that parents, actually, marches, protests. Okay, with my Ground Zero is being up to New York. Can you believe that? Ground Zero is being up to New York. It started here. My church back then was an Episcopal church. And the rector and the people in the church opposed Operation Rescue. And all the Episcopal churches in the, in, in the Binghamton area got together and proposed that one of the rectors be part of the Planned Parenthood board. So it was, it was a real big deal. It was one of the ways that Episcopalians in those days differentiated themselves from, from the rest of the other horrible Christians out there. Um, so I found out about this like, you know, five years ago, I think, when I saw some letters and some really uh, interesting exchange between our church and some other churches in town. I said, as, as, the, as the vested representative of Good Shepherd, I need to apologize for that. <laughs> That was wrong for us to support a movement against pro-life movement. And I said, those of you who were here at Good Shepherd during that time, this was wrong. You should apologize. If you if you were took part in that, if you agreed with this, you need to repent of that. That was that was you were supporting an evil cause. However, I can't say to people who are just in my church now who didn't have anything to do with that or weren't around there during that time, I can't say to them, okay, because you now belong to Good Shepherd, you're guilty too. You 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 also need to repent of of this corporate thing that would happened in this parish 20 years ago, 30 years ago. You don't need to repent of that. That, wasn't, that had nothing to do with you. Uh, that had to do with the corporate entity, which I represent, and it had to do with the people who are there who, who also need to, to apologize. It doesn't have to do with anything, anything else. And this is super important because, again, I think you mentioned this, J.D., is that the, the gospel has power where real sin has, has been identified right. and confessed. It doesn't have power when sins, where sins that we have made up and created and piled on top of the law are pressed down on people's shoulders. There's no way out of those. There's only a way out of sins that are true and real. Well, they have manipulatory power. I mean, as yeah, we saw exactly. in, the, in the medieval yeah. ages, like they have power to get you to go on a pilgrimage. They have power um, because there's some truth to it. I mean, we are guilty people. And so when mm -hmm. we Racism are- Racism is a sin. Yes. And so we are, um, and we know our hearts and we know that we don't always, uh, you know, respond to everyone in, in love, you know, 
I mean, like, and so you, you name the, the my people are instinctually guilty about, you, you know, you overlay that, the fact that many people aren't um, uh, availing themselves of a weekly absolver, you know, their absolver in chief, <laughs> their local pastor in the first place, much less really confessing true sins before Almighty God. You lay all of this over and then you have this, this flashpoint where you all of a sudden have this, this, this possibility of redemption via social media or a march or, or you know, the, some, some sort of standing solidarity that will absolve me of this genuine sense of guilt that I feel that is taking the manifestation of a legitimate historical wrong and it's unsurprising to me that you see this response to it. And so I think, right. again, no one, uh, you have to keep, we, I feel like we say this every week, no one is advocating racism, you know? And I think that to the extent that, that any Christian person, to whatever degree they have control, whether it's in their family, which would be the smallest um, uh, unit, to their, to their workplace, to their, you know, depending on whatever level of responsibility you have, if you have observed or been made aware of actual racist policies, you know, that are anti any particular minority in your power, then you, if you have been, if you are aware of that, then you need to not only repent with your mouth, but with your deeds, you know, turn and like Zacchaeus, I think about Zacchaeus, he says, you know, I'll give half of what I owe, you know, I'm a rich man. And then if I've defrauded anyone, I'll give back four times. Like perhaps there's some people out there who, when in light of all this say like, you know what, I did some research and it turns out I, I personally feel that I need to give back four times to, to a number of people what I need to do. Well, praise God. I mean, that's fine. Yeah. But I agree with you. The idea that there's some sort of extra biblical uh, corporate or group confession that I need to be a part of because of the providence of God having been placed into the situation I have been placed by birth is another gospel that's another law that's a that's not something that's that i think the church needs to be perpetuating and and i understand the sort of the visceral pastoral need to get involved in something like that but i think it's it's ultimately a you know it's a hydra you know you cut off one of its heads thinking this is going to answer it and it's just another one's going to grow because there's no end to that game you know, there's two games to be played. There's either the game where your life ends and is now clothed in Christ, period, or the game where you need to um, atone for your sins or find others to absolve for their sins against you or some combination of the two, and that will just go on forever. Because when you actually start pushing into people, everybody feels like a victim. Everybody feels like a sufferer. And so you can push only so far till someone says, well, you don't know my father. You know, you didn't know the kind of life I had growing up. I'm actually only Irish, you know. You don't know me because the only me that is me is not a group, but an individual for whom Jesus died. And when we lose that, then we just patronize the entire world by some some conception of who we think they are because of the color of their skin. I mean, that's ridiculous. Yeah. That's a ridiculous thing. And I think um, it's rightly to be resisted within the church. I mean, this is the fight we see going on in the PCA, the SBC. Um, I mean, this is, not, this is not just an ACNA. And I hope it's a, a, you know, there have been largely bloodless fights, which I hope continue to be the case, but it's a real conversation. And I think it needs to be perpetuated in as gracious yeah. a way as possible, because I think the stakes are rather high. They are. And um that that's you know, what it, what you're saying is one of the reasons I couldn't sign the, the most recent statement that came out from the uh, Anglican Compass. I think it was. Um, I, I know you you guys have read it, but the the confessions that those who sign it have made are are interesting. We confess that we have failed to see 
understand and address the expressions of racism, both personal and systemic, that plague our society, community, and churches. I mean, I, I suppose if you have failed to do that, you should confess that. But is that? It's, this seems to be a statement for the whole church. It seems to be a statement intended for everybody in the ACNA to sign. And so the implication of the statement is that the ACNA as a whole has done this. Yes. Well, and the problem, of course, lies in the details. Like, how do you define um, systemic racism? Systemic racism. I mean, yeah. when you define it as literally being a white person in America, well, then I—that's—that's that's what you mean, or at least that could be. That is one of a definition going around. A def right. And then, of course, when you get outside of America, even uh, systemic racism is simply American because we have perpetuated yeah. our thoughts and values on the world. And as a way of redressing that, of course, will be in, in no small way through uh, climate change initiatives, because we have, you know, exported yeah. our, our, so the redistribution of privilege and wealth will take the form of, um, of the oppressor Americans, right. and then the particularly white Americans um, being redressed into, into the, the oppressed. And um, yeah. that, is a, that is a theory but it's not a gospel or a biblical theory, and in therefore right. I don't need to to be uh, to uh, confess it. I, I'm not going. We, to. Yeah, I mean, I I think that you're right. The key to that first, there's three confessions here. And the first we're talking about the first one that we have failed to see and understand and address the expressions of racism. That there's a lot packed into that because the, how you see something depends on which lenses you're using. And, sure, um, you don't know me. Like, how do you know? Like, yeah, I mean, are, you, are, we using, are we using a biblical lens here, or are we using a, a, a social justice? What kind of lens are we using? And, yeah, and then the and second that, one. That determines everything. We confess our slowness to listen to the dismay and discouragement of our brothers and sisters of color, especially those in our own province, and neglected to cultivate hospitable places for them. Again, the presumption. I'm always worried here, when someone says, listen. I'm always worried when. I'm, I'm not when they call becomes, it indaba. When they call it indaba, yeah. <laughs> I, 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 my, my, my guard goes well, way down. Right, because we've heard, I mean, listening within a certain set of, of uh, a certain ideological set doesn't mean listening because we want to have a conversation. It means agreeing. And, and unless you agree, you haven't really listened. And so it, it, I'm wondering, and I, I have strong suspicions that that's how this word is being used here. But go ahead, I interrupted you. I'm sorry. Well, and I don't, but I don't think I think this is to give them credit, or I don't know if it's credit or not. But to be to to be generous of spirit, I think that a lot of maybe some of I think there was some haste in putting this together. Um, True. Or at least, and I think that you know perhaps a a, um, a reading group, a listening group, could have benefited from you know some of the various ways this could have been interpreted. Because I think that in general. The, the sort of the, the knee-jerk pastoral response to say something in the face of this, I, I can, I, I share that. You know, my congregation was asking me to say something, you know, my friends, like, what do we say? Um, I just think that the, it's, it's an example to me of how deep-seated and how saturated um, the, the culture is with this theory, this, I think, anti-Christian theory of race mm -hmm. relations, of power and oppressed relations that has been, uh, has filtered down through the, the colleges into the water has become, because there is, there is an idea that at the heart of America, or the heart of West, I should say, it's not just America, is a, an oppressive, patriarchal, heteronormative, white supremacist sort of founding which is our primal yeah. cosmology, 
our, our uh, is our origin theory. Our, our and original how do you, yeah. yeah, and how do you how do you repair that? Who, where's the savior going to come who will take upon no, no, I, I've himself heard Christians all talk of those about that things. as our original sin? Yeah. Right. So how will and so in this in this system. There is no end to the listening because all you will continue to hear is a litany of your sins, which some of may be valid, some may be invalid. But the problem is that the Christian message has a litany of sins that find their end in Christ. And so, um, you know, it's unsurprising to me that there are uh, there are many uh, like Vody Bakum is a perfect example. There are many African-American people who are looking at this happening, saying this is not in any way the way that that uh, racial reconciliation is actually achieved from the Bible and in the history of the church. It was achieved through the through the wrought blood of Christ for both male or female, Jew or Greek, slave or free. I mean, that's that's what's lost in all of this. Is ironically, is that the same verse that you you know used? I, mean, I can't wait to ask the Apostle Paul what he what how how he thinks about how that verse has been used in various ways. But I think that you know these are the confessions that that you may need to make. I don't know you. I don't know if you you need to make this or or not make them. Maybe there have been. Maybe your life is marked by incredibly obvious blind spots of your racial inability to to reconcile races or your your maltreatment of sisters and brothers of color like maybe so but right. but to the extent that 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 is true as a group it's it's i can't i can't sign it nor can i affirm it i think that um right. i think that's a i think it's an error uh to to speak in that way i think it's a again using rules of a game that the church should not play I think the last confession just completely illustrates your point. Um, we confess that our ignorance, our ignorance, complacency, and silence have undermined our fidelity to the great commandment to love God and love our neighbor, Matthew 22, 36 through 40, which fundamentally calls us into disciplines of anti-racism. That's right. right this so, is so, different so than what, not being racist. I just learned this, like sociologically, like being racist. Anti no, yeah, it's, it's very different. Yeah, Anti-racist is like... Um, if you're, if you're, yeah, it's a, it's a much different thing. I just bought the book that's been trending on Twitter today about how to be anti-racist. I can't wait to read that. Um, but I won't be ignorant anymore. <laughs> so maybe then I'll sign this confession. <laughs> so, but you were saying. But, but now notice that the fundamentally, I would say anti-gospel formulation of this confession, right? So what, what usually happens after you identify sin? Well, okay. We confess our ignorance and complacency and silence that have, uh, that have undermined our theology to the great commandment to love God and love our neighbor. Therefore, we plead for your mercy That's and right. receive the blood of your son, Jesus right. Christ, and forgive right. all our sins. And nope. rip our, <laughs> in sackcloth and ashes. Well, think about it, it's like fidelity to the great commandment. When did that become the gospel? Like that's the law. The greatest, that's the, the law, law right? is summed so you up. Should, so you, this should love be your Lord, the, your God. That's right. Exactly. So, so that's so this perfect. should have an absolution here or some kind of call to, to believe or trust in Jesus or, or, or receive his forgiveness. Instead, it says, oh no, you can do better. You need yes. to fundamentally work, you know, this fundamentally calls us to works into disciplines of anti-racism. Well, and another reason I don't like these the things, false just, yeah, it, exactly. I mean, well, that should be enough. But another reason I don't like them in practice okay. is because they're always so vague. Um, you know, they're, they're, they're always, they're always high-minded and idealized. And there's a lot of these statements, but in practicality, you want to say like, what do you mean? I mean, it says we want to partner with these organizations like these things. And that may be well and good. And I'm sure that they're, they're doing fine work to some degree uh you know i haven't looked into them but but you want to say like what does what what are your actual sort of specific grievances 
and your specific points of, of, you know, takeaway. And I remember this specifically from my own, as it were, training in the Episcopal Church, because we had to take, Nick and I think we did it together, anti-racism training, some, you know, 16, 17 years now. And I remember being equally frustrated back then, not that I wanted to go and, you know, learn how to be more racist or something, but that was the end effect to a certain degree, because what the whole class was, was here are how, here is how divided you are, how everyone is so totally different that in order to communicate with them, you will, or you will have almost no ability to effectively communicate with people across your, your race. And, you know, it does go in peace to love and serve the Lord. And I remember telling the guy at the end, I said, now, now the hope that I have that I live in, however imperfectly, that perhaps I could look across the aisle in my church and see people of different colors and races and consider myself united with them has been, according to you, uh, mortally wounded by the inability of, of people to be actually reconciled despite, um, despite whatever may have transpired in the past between themselves or their ancestors. And I, I remember being... Um, I feel a similar sense of, of sort of repugnancy to, to statements like this because I think I, while I appreciate the need, the seeming need for it, again, I keep going back to the same refrain, I think that the tools being used are, are not the tools of, of God. I think they are the, the, the wisdom of the world. You know, um, I think it's um, to the extent that it's unenlightened by the death and resurrection of Christ. And I think that, that we need to be aware of that at the very least. I mean, I'm not going to go off and try to silence people from doing these or writing these things. And if you sign this, so don't sign it. I mean, it's, it doesn't affect me personally, but I think that the conversation needs to continue because the, the, the stakes are rather high when we come to redefining what is in fact the gospel right. around a, um, an idealized sociological manifestation versus a new a new life uh, united body in Christ but that is part of right I mean that's part of the problem I and mean, once I think really what's at stake here is not uh, yeah the question of race and justice is definitely at stake but on a larger on a larger scale within the ACNA I do think there are two different versions of the gospel that are being that are being embraced here one is the one we've been discussing and and speaking about where sinners are called to repent because of the work that Christ has done um, on our behalf, which will give us free forgiveness and life <laughs> eternal. And on the other side is, is uh, okay, yes, the death and resurrection of Jesus are, are certainly part of the proclamation, but that's the means by which he ascended to his throne and therefore issues these edicts, love God, love your neighbor, to which we're all called to, to, to obey. And that's the gospel, love God, love your neighbor. Um, yes. And I had a conversation explicitly yeah. with someone about this who I will remain nameless, but if you're listening, which he isn't, uh, you know who you are, but he said, and he tried to not be, he's not much younger than I am, but he seems younger, if that makes any sense. <laughs> and, um, uh, and, uh, and he said, you know, we're not, we younger evangelicals in the ACNA are not just content with preaching, you know, um, sin and redemption. You know, we see that there's a social component to the gospel that uh, we're not content with with um, ignoring. And I, you know, was sort of a little bit annoyed by that, but I didn't 
uh, let it go. And I said, you know, it, but the, the implication, of course, and we've talked about this before, the implication that just being, you know, when people say like, I don't want to hear just the forgiveness of sins. It's like, if you've ever met someone who is legitimately a sinner who has just had their forget sins forgiven, you have met a Christian, probably a minister, probably on a mission trip, probably who's devoted their entire lives to Christ, because just having been forgiven because sins, sins forgiven. is not a word that anybody says with any meaning if it's true in their lives, because they are crying, they are singing that, they are in church preaching that, they, yeah. that is the church. And so, you know, if you're yeah, going to yell similar. at me, yeah, if you're going to yell at me because I just preach forgiveness of sins, well, then I'll go ahead and take that and just see what just happens by the power of the Holy Spirit when he calls his sheep to repentance and new right. life in his son. So, yeah, you hear similar dismissive kind of comments about eternal life, right? So, <laughs> Uh, I, I don't want to hear all this stuff about pie in the sky by and by. Right. I want a, and a religion that addresses me right, right here and now. That's and, right. Uh, okay, you know, we're talking about a truth that extends to eternity. Yeah. You're going to live for what, forty more years, fifty more years. You're going to die. Well, not um, you, not with that Irish well, background. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry, but you're I, I, short I, I, though. I, you are I a tiny think... man. So tiny people. Nick is like six eight. He's like a Great Dane. So he's got like a 10, tiny man. More years. Wow. Well, in, in a very <laughs> meaningful way. Sorry, yeah. I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, no, no. I just say, but but I I I, I don't think that ten thousand years from now, <laughs> anybody who's right now saying. Why do we care about eternity when we have things to worry about right here and now? I agree with you. He's going to be saying that because I, I think, think people be in say heaven. That. <laughs> I think that that's a statement. I think that that's a sideways yeah. statement of unbelief. I think that that is a. Yeah. I think that when I hear ministers talk about that, I think that they are compensating for their creeping, if not explicit, unbelief. It's the same, and I think right. that they they are um, they are hoping that it's true, but there's label something of the of this. You know, Luther used to say, you know, the Holy Spirit is not a skeptic. You know, like you can, you know, when right. you're you're losing some of the Holy Spirit when you begin to 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 at least consider the fact that that better be true or we're we're fools. You know, First Corinthians fifteen, like that better be true about raising from the dead, or or else you're all dead in your trespasses and sin. What is this all about? And so I think I'm with you. I think that um, you know, I think that this conversation will continue. I pray for conversation partners uh, who who show me some grace and vice versa, who who can appreciate perhaps even our differences as they work towards not necessarily a resolution in some Hegelian sense, but at the very least a clarity um, so that, you know, the the pastoral realities of this can be at stake. You know, you have in the New Testament clear indications of where Paul considered um, disagreement to be a broken fellowship that he hosts that, you know, the people of the circumcision party would go ahead and go ahead and finish the job. You know, like I haven't gotten to the level of disagreement that the uh, inspired apostle has. And yet um, I can see the stakes being just as high with respect to uh, what considered to be an other gospel. And so I, you know, I, until proven or persuaded otherwise continue to work through these things, um, but hopefully in service of bringing sinners of whatever color um, or whatever gender, whatever ethnicity um, to saving faith in Christ, which is the ultimate hope so that they could just be forgiven and just have the hope of eternal life set before them. Yeah. It's, it's such paltry things we look forward to. That's right. So, I know. So. Well, we're going to let that be the final word, you guys, as you said, JD, this is going to be, I'm sure an ongoing conversation. I'm grateful um, to be in it with you guys. Uh, JD Koch from, Mount Pleasant, South Carolina, Matt Kennedy 
from Binghamton, New York. I'm Nick Lannon in Louisville, Kentucky. And with the grace of God and by faith, we are standing firm. Standing firm.